Today is obviously a different type of day, a different type of shmuz. It's not the same giving a shmuz on Friday morning without a coffee. But here we are, Asar Beteves, one of the Tanesim around the calendar year that Klai Yisrael abstains from eating, not just to abstain from eating, but of course to be ma'er tshuva. When a person is busy with gashmias, it's very often at the exclusion of uh, being able to focus on the, the good things in life, the true things in life. And so by not having our coffee, by not having breakfast, by not having lunch, uh, what we're basically trying to do is be able to focus a little bit inward to understand that we are in Gaulus, that we experience the Churban. Today is the first step towards the Churban by Yisrishen. Today was the day that Nebuchadnezzar Harasha besieged Yerushalayim, surrounded Yerushalayim with his army. Uh, ultimately, of course, this would eventually lead to uh, the breaching of the walls on Shiva um, and then, of course, on Tishabav, the destruction of the Beis Hamikdash. And so, it's rare, of course, to have a, a tainus on Erev Shabbos, and uh, we're not going to get into the details of why Asar Batevis is the only tainus that we do so. Famous of a dram that says that even if it would fall on Shabbos, we would fast on Shabbos. That's the degree of severity that, for some reason, Asar Bateves holds uh, in, the, uh, in, in the annals of history. But be that as it may, it gives us an opportunity this morning to discuss the Churban Beis HaMikdash, which is something that we do discuss in the summer, for those of you that are here on Tishabav, uh, We discuss it every Lel Tishabav for the past many, many years, and you could refer to uh, my shirim online uh, to get those insights, but it gives us a new, fresh opportunity to discuss something that throughout the regular school year we don't have the ability, always the opportunity to talk about, and that is uh, what exactly the Chorban is and what it represents to us today in our Galus. And actually, this week's parsha, Parsha's Vayigash, gives us a, a wonderful entree into the understanding, a true understanding, a deep understanding of the Chorban, because, of course, in this week's parsha we have the reunion, the beautiful reunion, the dramatic reunion of Yosef and Binyamin, as well as Yosef and Yaakov Avinu. And let's go through the Psukim that describe what happens at the moment that Yaakov, that, that Yosef and Binyamin uh, come together after all those years, and what happens when Yaakov Avinu is reunited with his, father, with his son Yosef after all of those years. The Pasuk says in Parak Memhe, Pasuk Yodalad, Vayipal al Tzavare Binyamin Achivayev that Yosef falls on the necks, in the plural, the necks of his brother Binyamin. He breaks down on his necks and he cries. And it says that Yosef, uh, that 
Binyamin also cried on the neck of Yosef, his brother. So, if you look in Rashi, Rashi famously explains that what this Pasuk is talking about is not just merely a beautiful reunion of two brothers that have been that have been separated for so many years, two brothers from the same mother, biological brothers, full brothers that love each other, but there's much more uh, of a deeper narrative taking place at this time. Rashi says that they were crying, not just merely as we would naturally understand it, that they're, they're crying tears of joy, but rather there were tears of churban at that moment. And that's why... Yosef is breaking down and crying on the necks of Binyamin because the neck is a reference, an allusion to the Beis HaMikdash. Why is the neck an allusion to the Beis HaMikdash? So the Svarim HaKadoshim write that the neck is a very important part of the human body in that it attaches, it's the point of connection, of connectivity between the head and the body. You have a head and you have a body, and what keeps the two major components of the body together? The neck. So that is used as the metaphor in Shira Shirim and here in the parsha of the Beis Hamikdash, because the Beis Hamikdash also serves that very same purpose as being the neck of the world. Because we only know the world beneath us, the, the world that's this world, the world, the, the, the earth, with all of its materialism and with all of its uh, whatever is going on, the politics, the, the events, and the, uh, the history of the world. But we know that there's also a world above us, the world in heaven, Shamayim, Rakadish Baruch Hu reigns where the malachim are, where all of the, uh, the many things that are going on in the upper worlds that we don't really understand, we don't know about. But that exists up there. We're down here below. What's the point of connectivity between these two worlds, between the upper worlds and the lower worlds? The Beis HaMikdash. The Beis HaMikdash is the makam of Chibur, just like the neck is the place that connects the lower with the upper. That's what the Beis HaMikdash represents in the universe. It's the place that heaven touches earth and that there is, just like the Vilna Gain points out, that just like in the neck, if we want to go a little bit deeper and understand what happens inside of the neck, we know that there are two pipes in the neck. There's a pipe called the kana and a pipe called the veshet. There's the windpipe or the trachea and then there's the esophagus. The trachea is in order to get air in and out of a person's lungs, and we can't survive if we don't have, there's a blockage in our lungs, in our, in, in, you know, if the windpipe gets blocked, that's very bad, it's very dangerous. The other pipe in the neck is the pipe of the esophagus, which is where we swallow food. Food goes down that pipe. Air comes up from the other pipe, food goes down that pipe, says the Vilna Gain. That's what the Beis HaMikdash is. Inside of the neck, which is the Beis HaMikdash, there are two systems that are operating simultaneously. We, as Klal Yisrael, we have the air, we have our tefillos, we have our tachanunim, we have our taira. All of that air, that, that holy air, goes up through the Makam HaMikdash. That means even if we daven this morning in Queens, it goes, the, the Svar Makdash and the Shulchan Aruch, it goes derech 
the Beis HaMikdash. So all the tefillahs really go to Yerushalayim, and through Yerushalayim it goes up into the, uh, into the heavens, but via Yerushalayim. So Yerushalayim is the place that all of the tefillahs go up through the, up through the kana. The windpipe takes up the tefillahs. And what does HaKadosh Baruch Hu do in return? HaKadosh Baruch Hu sends down parnasa, sustenance. That's the esophagus. That's how we're able to have food and nourishment and nutrition. All of that comes out as a result of the other pipe in the, in the tzavar. And in the global tzavar, in the universal tzavar of the Beis HaMikdash, we have all of this going on. We have the ability to send up our tefillahs heavenward, and also we're able to get hashpa milamala, all the bracha that we have, all the shafa, all the parnasa, all the goodness comes down to the world through the Makam HaMikdash. It's a very pivotal place in the world, this Beis HaMikdash sitting on the, in the Beis HaBechira uh, on the Haramariya in Yerushalayim. So Yosef HaTzadik falls on the necks of Binyamin because he saw, he foresaw Binavuah that there would be two Batei Mikdash that are destroyed in the Chelak of Binyamin. The Beis HaMikdash was built in the territory controlled by Binyamin in Eretz Yisrael. And so he cried on the necks of Binyamin, the two Batei Mikdash. Of course, Binyamin cried on his neck. That's a reference to another Mikdash that took place in the Chelak of Yosef. That's called Mishkan Shiloh. We're not going to talk about Mishkan Shiloh today, but suffice it to say that there was really three Batei Mikdash, in a sense, that were really mourned over at this period of time. This beautiful reunion was really much deeper. It was really a time of, of a bittersweet moment. It was a time that they were reunited and they were happy for one another. But at the same time, there was also this realization of what would be in the future. What would be that Klal Yisrael would, would suffer, would endure the Churban Bayis Rishain and the Churban Bayis And so for that, Yosef wept on the necks of Binyamin to, to, to feel to feel the Churban of both Beit Mikdash. By the way, just parenthetically, it should be pointed out that you see from here a very important Yisait that maybe you take for granted, and maybe I should also, but it shouldn't be taken for granted, that sometimes when we are being misabal on Yerushalayim, like a day like today, or like a day uh, of Shivasa Batamas, and of course, during the three weeks, the nine days, and Tishabav, we sort of just lump together the Bayis Rishon and the Bayis Shein. We just look at it, listen, it's just the Beis HaMikdash is destroyed. Which Beis HaMikdash? Both of them. They're both destroyed, and we're, we're misabal on both Bate Mikdash, and we sort of lump both tragedies together. They did happen on the same day. They were both uh, on the same exact location ge- geographically. They both uh, were tragic events in Klai Yisrael. So let's just be misabal on both of them together. That's not the way it works. Yosef cried a separate mourning on both necks of Binyamin. Binyamin, of course, only had one neck, but he was misabel on the Chorim Bayes Rishain, Kama, and the Chorim Bayes These are two separate events that should not be just completely put together as one and not feel the separate historical consequences of each. Every one of them are significant. Both of them are significant in their own right, and both of them have to be studied and understood and mourned over separately. The Chorim Bayes Rishain and then the Chorim Bayeshein. The Chorim Bayeshein was destroyed, of course, by the Babylonians, by Nebuchadnezzar, Russia, 
and the Chorim Bayasheni by the Romans, uh, by Titos and by uh, and, and by by all of uh, the, the all the, the Caesars and all the, the people the Rishayim that were involved in the Chorim Bayasheni, but. These were two Bate Mikdash that were destroyed, and we have to miss Abel on both of them on days like today. It's also, you see this Beferish in Eicha, at the beginning of Megillus Eicha, it says, Perak Aleph Pasuk Beis, Bachai Sivke Balayla, we cry and we cry again at night. Bachai Tivke, double Ashna Bechia. Rashi says, Shte Bechiais, Ashte Chorbanan, two separate tears for the two separate Chorbanis, which means that there's a Chorban by Yisrishen and there's a Chorban by Yisheni, and they're both on the same day. But that doesn't mean that we lump them together. We have to understand both of them. Each of them were destroyed for different reasons. The Chorban by Yisrishen for the three cardinal sins of Adizara, Gilaresh, and Chastamim. The Bayesheni was destroyed because of Sinas Chinam, which is a, a problem that persists in Klai Yisrael throughout its history, and each of them have to be understood and mourned over individually. If you look in Rav Schwab Sefer, he brings a beautiful vart, Peshem Rav Matal Pagramansky, one of the great Gedalim of Tells, a, a genius of geniuses, who uh, Rav Gifter used to consider his Rebbe, who is a, 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 like a, an off-the-charts genius, and we've spoken about him as well in the past, but he says a gorgeous vart on this, on this pasuk about uh, the, the next of Binyamin, this reunion. He says, why does Yisra, why does Chazal have to like sort of mar the moment? Can't we just like say that it's like a, a nice Hollywood moment, two brothers re- reunited after all these years, they're crying, Tears of joy, they're crying. Yes, the Pasuk says that they, but that could be understood. We understand that people that meet up after a long time uh, in, a, in a very, you know, in a, in a moment of reunion, a moment of joy, you cry. There's, there, it's, there is something in the world called tears of joy. If you go to a chasna, you see a lot of people crying, right? You hope that it's for a good reason, right? The mothers of the bride are crying, fathers of the bride, the people are crying. Why are they crying? Because it's such a a joyous moment that for some reason you cry at joyous moments. Why can't we just say that that's the pshat and the pasuk? Why do we have to right away bring in, okay, chorim bayesrishen, chorim bayesheni, the two necks? I mean, obviously you could darshan it and you could say whatever you want, but but at the end of the day, can't we just keep it nice? Can't we just, like, does a Jew always have to, like, bring in some tragic event to, to like, ruin the moment? Like, let's just appreciate it. It's a beautiful reunion. Let them be happy. So, Ramatul says the following, you say. He says there's a Medrash. The Medrash says on a Pasuk in Yeshaya, Pasuk that's unfortunately familiar to many of us because uh, a lot of Hespedim end with this very pasuk, it says, "Umacha Hashem Eloikim Dima Me'al Kalpanim," that in the future, Hakadosh Baruch Hu will wipe away the tears from all faces, meaning that there won't be any more tsaris and Klai Yisrael when Mashiach comes. It's going to be happy times. We're not going to have to cry. We're not going to have to mourn. We're not going to have to sit on the floor. We're not going to have to wear sneakers instead of regular shoes. We're not going to have to, you know, have fast days on Fridays. It's going to be times of joy. So the Medrash says something funny. 
the Medrash says, Afilo Dema'is Shal Simcha. Even tears of happiness, those types of tears that I just described by a chasana, where you're like an airport scene, you're, it, it's a happy moment. You get reunited, you get to, to hug a, a child that just came home from Eretz Yisrael, and, uh, and you, you cry. Even those types of tears will be, will be eradicated once Mashiach comes. Strange medrash. What's the pshat? What does this mean that there's something about tears of, of joy that are also, you know, have to be nimcha, they also have to be destroyed from, uh, erased from all faces. Why? So he says like this. He says, when Yerushalayim was around, this is very important for us to understand. When Yerushalayim was bebinyano, when Yerushalayim was standing, and the Beis HaMikdash was in its, in its glory, and the Shekhinah was shaira, and Klai Yisrael came up, and the Kaihanim were Bavaidasam, and the Leviim were Bashir Mubazimram, they were singing their songs on the on the on the Duchan in, in Yerushalayim. And there was Lishkas Hagazis. And people would come up, they were Ayla Regal three times a year, but even Stam they would come up. Taisus says that uh, that when you come into Yerushalayim, every Jew that came into the Beis Hamikdash was endowed with Yerushalayim. You see the Kaihanim doing their Avaidah, you see these great Sadiqim doing the Avaidah, the Karbanas, the Zrika, and then you see that you hear the beautiful music of the Leviim. You have, you're, you're just filled with Yerushalayim from that experience. So Yerushalayim was a place of unfettered joy in the world. It says that, uh, that Yerushalayim was, uh, the Medrash says that Mesais Kalaretz, Mesais Kalaretz we say on Mondays, Shir Shalyayim, that Yifein Naif Mesais Kalaretz, Yerushalayim was the, 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 the beacon of joy for the entire universe. Interestingly, the Medrash says that for that reason you were not allowed to fill out your tax forms in Yerushalayim. They had special booths, kippahs, that were on the outskirts of Yerushalayim that, you know, I'm sure if it was like today, they, like H&R Block or something would sponsor those kippahs. You'd see ads on the, on the umbrellas over those kippahs, but, you know, some accounting firms, Jewish accounting firms, of course, and, you know, there would be, uh, that's where you feel, because they didn't want anything staring the Simcha of Yerushalayim. The Simcha of Yerushalayim was supposed to be so pure and so joyous that you don't, don't pay your taxes in Yerushalayim. It's gonna, it never picks a person up. No one ever had a, you know, had a high, experience, a, a, a high, you know, from filling out their tax. Everyone just hates taxes, complains about taxes all day. They don't want to, it's not a place. So that's how Yerushalayim was supposed to be this place of pure joy. Mesais Kalaris. Comes the Chorban. And the Chorban destroyed Yerushalayim. It destroyed the Beis HaMikdash. But it didn't just destroy the Beis HaMikdash. What it did was, it took away the source of joy in the entire world. And so if you could picture in your mind's eye a world that's now full of oceans of tears, that's really what happened. When the floodgates of tears, of of emotional sadness, took over the entire world when the basement was destroyed. The Gaim don't don't even realize what they did. The Gemara says that the Gaim, they had no idea what they were doing. They thought this was a good idea to destroy the the, the Makamah Mikdash. They don't understand 
the consequences of that, the fact that now they didn't have this place of Kedusha in the world. Gayim themselves used to be able to, to send karbanas to be brought on the, on the Mizbeach. All nations had the ability to bring certain types of karbanas. Now they weren't. This joy that filled the world from the Beis HaMikdash was gone. So the world was filled with like an, uh, oceans and oceans of tears. Cesar Mato, that sometimes in our life, in Galus, without a Beis HaMikdash, we have an ability to have simcha in spite of the fact that we don't have a Beis HaMikdash. So he says, picture in the oceans of tears, little pockets, little islands that we're able to enjoy, despite the fact that there's no base of So for example, when you're getting married, you have a simcha, right? You're getting married, you have a bar mitzvah, you have a bris. There are moments that we are allowed to have joy. And what happens was, is that when the joy becomes too much, when we like overstep, those boundaries of joy that were permitted in this Gaulus without a Beis HaMikdash, we start like sort of stepping into a place of tears. It's like we're getting off the island. When we go too far off the island, that's when the tears start coming into our eyes. So these tears of joy that, joy that we think is a beautiful thing, it's really also a consequence of the Churm Beis HaMikdash. Why should it be that a person, a human being cries when he's happy? He shouldn't be crying, he should not be Tears are reserved for moments of sadness, not, not happiness. The answer, says Ramatul, is that because of the Beis HaMikdash's destruction, when we're allowed moments of happiness, and now we start crying, it means that we've overstepped, we're stepping into, again, the ocean of tears. And that's also a point of Chorban. Cesar Matal, that's what's going on in this Pasuk. It's true, I'll give you, I'll grant you that, that when Yosef and Binyamin were crying, it was tears of joy. But that itself, the fact that there are tears of joy, itself represents the Chorban Beis HaMikdash. The only reason why there's such a phenomenon in the world of, the, of tears of joy is because the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed. And because we're no longer able to fully experience joy, and when we overdo it, we start crying. And so even though perhaps before the Beis HaMikdash there wasn't a concept of tears of joy, but at that point, prior to the Beis HaMikdash and its destruction, when Yosef and Yaman are crying, and they realize that they're crying, but it's happiness, why is this happening? Now they realize, oh, I know why, because it's, we're seeing a nevuah of what will be. Someday there's going to be a churban, and the whole world will be filled with sorrow. Even the happy moments, umach Hashem lekim dima, in the future, when Mashiach comes, we're not going to have those tears of joy. It's just going to be pure, pure joy. We don't have to have the tears that are the, uh, the, the, um, the legacy of the Chorban Beis HaMikdash. Let's discuss for a moment also, now when Yaakov Avinu finally is able to encounter Yosef after all the years his beloved son has been gone, thought to be dead. Yaakov and Yosef have this beautiful reunion. And the Pasuk says that Yosef falls on his shoulder, on his neck, and he cries on his neck more. What does it mean more? Just say he cried on his neck. What's Eid? I think what's happening over here is Eid means that it's an extension of the crying that he experienced on the necks of Binyamin 
this was like an extension of that crying. What does that mean? Yaakov Avinu represents in Golos, Yaakov represents Golos. Yaakov Avinu is the forefather that has Tsaris, a lot of Tsaris in his life. He's the one that actually goes down in this week's parsha to Mitzrayim. So he's the forefather that represents Klal Yisrael and Golos. He was the one that fought with the angel, the Sarishal Esav, previously, and that also represents a Jew in Golos. But the Meshachachma in this week's parsha, if you want to look into this a little bit further, on the Pasuk of Ayyemer Lekim El Yaakov Maris Halayla, he appears to him in the darkness of night because that's what Yaakov is. Yaakov is the is the forefather of the darkness of night, the darkness of Golos. That's what Yaakov Avinu represents. That's why Yaakov Avinu was Mesakin Tfilas Arvis. He was the, the father of night, because night is representative of the Golos that Klai Yisrael is in currently. And I think that the tears that Yosef was shedding on Yaakov was it was an extension of the Churban Beis HaMikdash that he, that he cried over on Binyamin's neck previously. It's now continuing throughout the entire Golas, which means to say that all of the tears, all of the Tsaris that we have in Golas today are directly related to the Churban Beis HaMikdash. The crying that we have on Binyamin's neck is, the extend, is extended throughout the entire Golas. How do I know that this is true? Because listen to this unbelievable medrash. The medrash is again an Eicha Rabbah, Perak Aleph, Medrash Chaf Dalad. Maisa B'Yishachas, there is a story with a certain woman who was in the neighborhood of Rabbi Gamliel. She was a neighbor of Rabbi Gamliel, and she had a beloved son, and he dies. Her beloved son dies and she is inconsolable. Every night she's crying and crying and crying. She can't stop herself. And the Medrash says, the Rebbe Gamliel used to listen to her crying every single night. And he would remember the Churban Beis HaMikdash. And he would cry together with her. Until the eyelashes and the eyebrows of Rabbi Gamliel fell out. That's how many copious tears he was shedding. And the Talmidim had to actually remove this woman from that neighborhood of Rabbi Gamliel. They relocated her because they couldn't have Rabbi Gamliel be so miserable night after night. All he was doing was crying over the Chor Mesamikdash. Rav Gifter asks, Why is he crying over the Chor Mesamikdash? by listening to her crying over her son. If, she want, if he wants to commiserate with her on her son's death, so let her cry with her over her son. Why is, what's, what does it mean the Medrash, by, that she, he was crying over the Churban Beis HaMikdash? What does one thing have to do with the other? So if Gifter tells us an amazing Yisait that we have to take with us this morning, and that is that the Shairish, the root cause of all Tsaris, that we experience in Golas, both personal tsaras, national tsaras, international tsaras, whatever we're going through, everything is rooted in the Churm Beis HaMikdash. If it was not for the Churm Beis HaMikdash, we'd be fine. The tsaras that a Jew goes through is Vayef al-Savarav Eid. There was Yaakovina representing the Golas. All the tears is Eid. It's all an extension of the original tears 
on the Churm Beis Hamikdash that Yosef is crying over Binyamin. And when Hakadosh Baruch Hu will be the Melech on the entire world again in a revealed way, and when Hakadosh Baruch Hu is going to be at the stage of history, he will repair the world with his Malchus, with his glorious kingship, kingdom. The world will be reinstated to the way it should be, not this crazy world that we're living in today. We're living in, an, in a world that's absolutely insane. There's insanity taking place throughout the world. We see what's going on in the headlines every morning. The Chayalim are getting murdered. And, and what happened on Simchas Torah, the terrible, unthinkable, unspeakable atrocities that were committed to Klai Yisrael. Thousands of Yidin lost their lives, were taken into captivity, were, were wounded. Sometimes, you know, we see, we, we, we hear the deaths and the people that are wounded, oh, Baruch Hashem, you know, they were just wounded. They weren't, they weren't killed. I think sometimes that, you know, it's much worse to be wounded than to be killed. If you see the, the wounds that, the, that, the, that these people had to endure. Wounds weren't paper cuts. They went blind. They lost their hands. They lost their legs. They lost... Unbelievable what, what Kleisel right now is going through. And we're suffering and it's not new to a Jew to suffer throughout Gaulus. The Jews have suffered throughout Gaulus from, from day one. All the Tsaris and the Holocaust, the Inquisitions and the Black Plague and the and the and Tachvetat and, and, and uh, the, all the, the Holocaust and the and, and all the tsar, the terrorism throughout the, the, the history, the last century. All the Surim, all the sufferings that we went through and that we continue to go through even today. Why are they here? Why is Hashem doing this? Why does a Yid have to suffer so much? The answer is because of the Chor Beis HaMikdash. HaKadosh Baruch Hu destroyed the Beis HaMikdash. He took away the Simcha from the world. It's not his fault, it's our fault. We sinned, we deserved it. And because of that, we continue to have to suffer, not just with the original Chorban, but the Chorban we were reminded of every single day in Galus, one way or another, it could be the things that we read about going on in Eretz Yisrael. It could be the things that we read about in Europe, the things that are going on in America, the things that are going on every day on college campuses or on the streets of Borough Park or on the streets of Williamsburg or Crown Heights or, 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 or in a shul in uh, Pittsburgh. These are things that are happening every single day, one place after another place. These, this is because HaKadosh Baruch Hu took away the Beis HaMikdash. When the base measure was taken away, the Shmira of Klaiso was taken away. And the entire world order was, was completely set, you know, out of whack. It was, it, there's no world order anymore. It's all really a Hefkerwelt. It's literally a world without any, any rhyme or reason. We don't understand what a politician says. He says something today, and then tomorrow he'll say something completely different, and then the next day he'll say something else. We don't know who's our friends. We don't know who's our enemies. We don't know who loves us. We don't know who hates us. But we do know one thing. We know that we have to daven for Mashiach. Because when Mashiach comes, then we will once again have clarity. Right now we're in Cheshkas Agalas. Everything is so dark. Everything is mysterious. We have no idea what, why things are happening. Why things are happening personally to us in our own lives why there are so many people that don't have shiduchim, why there are so many people that are not healthy, that are not well. I once went into a hospital in, in Manhattan, 
uh, to visit a, a relative of mine that was very sick. And, and there were so many, like, Jews there in this, like, cancer ward. It was all, like, it, it was Rav Hasidim. It was Hasidim and, and Yidin and whatever. Like, I'm not saying that we are, we're getting sick on a, you know, a larger, larger scale than anyone else, but, but Lemaisa, you see that there's so much sickness that Klai Yisrael experiences. There's so much. We know that, you know, there's so many organizations that are tzaddikim that, you know, to take care of, of people that have all these different types of tsaras, whether it's uh, almanis and yisaimim and people that have yana machla and people that have this machla and that machla. And, and, and bec- there wouldn't be organizations if, this wasn't a, uh, if there wasn't a reality that Klal Yisrael is not in a good matzav. And this is all because of the fact that HaKadosh Baruch Hu is not... He's, he's sort of behester upon him. He's watching us, but from afar. We don't see it. We don't feel it. And so we have to desperately get the third base Hamikdash built again. You know, sometimes there is Tishabavs that are, that are, you know, good year Tishabavs, if you could say that. And you don't, like some sum, summers, like a lot of times I feel like during the three weeks in Tisha B'Av, there's like something really bad taking place in the world. There might be a, a, the Intifada, there might be Gush Katif taking place, there might be a, um, you know, some big financial scandal or the stock market crash. There's generally some like really bad news and we don't need too much of a reminder, you know, what we, you know, how bad Gullus is. Sometimes it's a good summer. So everything is going well. You're swimming in your pool. You're going, you know, you're going on hikes. Everything is fine. It's a beautiful summer. Then it's harder to understand, you know, what I'm being misabled on. That's when all the drushes on Tishba, what, why should we be, what, what are we in Kherban over? Like everything is great. Everything is good. And you have to come up with, you know, some fabrications of why, you know, what could be better theoretically if Mashiach comes this year. Right now, this Asar Batevis is not a year, unfortunately, that we have to like use our imagination for how bad the Khurban is, for how bad the Gullus is, how, how, how dire the consequences of the, of the bias being destroyed are. We see it, Bechush, we feel it. I don't think anyone in this room is the same since Simchastaira. I don't think that I don't see anyone like laughing out loud and just having like Hylas, even Hanukkah, as beautiful as it may have been, but it was muted. Simchaser obviously was muted. The simchas that we go to are somewhat muted. It's not the same. The world has changed. And we see that it's not the same. I went shopping, you know, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago. I had to go to a, it wasn't a mall, it was something else. I don't know, maybe like a Target. I went into a Target. And, um, you know, normally go into a Target. You don't even notice people around you. You just do your shopping and that's it. I just felt that whoever was looking at me hated me. I just felt that way. I, maybe, maybe I'm, you know, maybe it's, uh, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, maybe it's me. But like, I just felt like every single person in there, uh, of every ethnicity, was like looking at me like I'm, I'm the enemy. Never experienced that. Maybe you know, if sometimes if you go out to, you know, someplace in, you know, outside of New York, you maybe feel it a little bit outside the tri-state area, in Europe maybe. But like, I never felt it in, you know, in Queens, in, in, in a Target. You don't need a, a reminder that we're in Gaulus this year. We don't need a reminder how bad it is that we don't have a base mikdash. We don't have Yerushalayim Bibinyana. We have Yerushalayim Baruch Hashem, but it's not Bibinyana. It's not completely built, meaning it doesn't have a base mikdash on it. There's a mosque, a big golden dome mosque on the Makma mikdash today. And that 
is why we have tsaris. All the tsaris that we have is because of that. When Mashiach comes, l'sakein oylem v'malch l'shakai, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu has the chance once again, because we allow him in, we invite him back, and Mashiach comes, and now he could fix the world again. He can make everything. We don't know how is this world ever going to go back to being this. Leave it to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. HaKadosh Baruch Hu could do anything. He's a kol yachol. He can make the world sane again, normal again, beautiful again, happy again, joyous. And we have to really feel the loss today, not just because we're not having our, our, our coffee and our pizza, but because we feel really profoundly the loss of the Beis HaMikdash. Look, how, look what we're in. Look at the matzah that we're in, all because of the Chorim Beis HaMikdash. And we have to long for Mashiach to come Mashiach has to not be just a, a, a bracha and shemayna esrei, but it has to be a reality. We have to really feel kilishuascha kivino kol for your Yeshua, your salvation. I hope for every single day. We have to hope for Mashiach to come. We have to realize that's the only escape from this galus. The only way that we're going to ever get back to normal is when Mashiach comes. I want to close with a story that I know is true because I was one degree of separation away from it and the person that told it to me I trust implicitly. It's a story that's an old story, I've told it before, but I want to share it with you today. I don't think you've ever heard it. Years and years and years ago, in the early years of, of the Yeshiva, I had a Talmud. Um, he actually was from, um, he was from England, he's from London, and he, uh, and he had a, a cousin that lived in Flatbush. His family didn't live here, so on Shabbosim, when he had an off Shabbos, he would very often go to his, his cousins in Flatbush. And I happened to know these cousins in Flatbush, and they had a son that was a, a nice yeshiva boy, maybe a five, six, seven, eight years old, I don't know, somewhere in that range. And so my Talmud was there for Shabbos, it was Arab Shabbos, and this young boy's grandfather came to the house on Erev Shabbos and brought this young Pachinta boy, a nice sweet boy, he brought him a pekola for Shabbos, which is like a candy bag. You know, like a, one of those big bags you can buy in the candy store and it has in it, you know, all types of treats and nice things for Shabbos for a boy to enjoy. So the grandfather kisses him, benches him, says good Shabbos and goes home. And my Talmud you know, it was like, sort of like ribbing, like shepherding the, you know, this, his cousin, like, no, let's open it up and eat it. Let's have the pekola together. He says, no, 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 no. So he says, that's not nice, you know, I'm here, I'm, you know, I'm here for Shabbos, like, let's, let, let's break it open and have some of the candy in there. And the boy was like very, like, uh, evasive, he didn't want to, like, speak too much, but he was like, uh, you know, he basically said no. So my Talmud didn't stop there. He continued to like press on. Like he was now curious, like why? The boy's a very sweet, generous type of kid. Like why wouldn't he share his candy bag? So finally, like pressed, the young boy says to my Talmud, if you must know, I'll tell you. If you must know, I'll tell you. He says, come with me. And they walk down the hallway to this boy's bedroom and the boy opens up the bottom drawer of his dresser and in this bottom drawer of his dresser is stacked neatly 
maybe 50, 60 of these identical peckles just sitting there. And the boy takes the other, puts it in again and closes the drawer. So at this point, my Talmud is quite confused. He says, now I really don't understand what you're doing. Like, okay, it's one thing if you want to save one, but what are you saving 50 peklach for? Like what, you know, for what, for who, for where? Like when are you going to eat this? So listen to what the boy said. There's a boy that grew up in Flatbush in, you know, in the 1990s, I guess. Now he's probably 30 years older or something. But he says, this peckle, these peklach, I decided that I'm only going to open when Mashiach comes. This is my Mashiach drawer, and I'm saving these peklach for when Mashiach comes. My Talmud was Nispal, like a boy in Flappish, circa 1990, no, it must have been the 2000s, you know, not enjoying a pekola that, and not enjoying 50 pekolach that his grandfather brings him because he wants to save something for Mashiach comes, which that means that there are people in this world that are still longing in a real sense for Mashiach. They understand implicitly that the world needs Mashiach, that you and I need Mashiach. It's not just a, a bumper sticker. It's not a slogan. It's not a flag. It's a reality that until Mashiach comes, we cannot have happiness. We cannot appreciate. We cannot have normal simcha without having sim- tears of joy creeping in. We cannot enjoy things. We cannot understand things. We cannot feel comfortable in any situation until Mashiach comes. Sometimes we go through periods of history, and we've gone through them ourselves, that are golden periods that we don't understand what's so terrible about this Gaulus. Seems pretty good to me. I got my baseball, got my basketball, I got my uh, uh, football, I have my music, and I have my concerts, and I have my, uh, my kosher pizza, and I have, my, my, I have everything. What am, I, what am I missing? I need Mashiach to come. I have to move to Eretz Israel and, and upturn this whole life. Today, we don't, I don't think anyone is really feeling that way. Today we understand HaKadosh Baruch Hu made it loud and clear on Simchas Taira that this is not our home, this is not a place that we could feel this is our Yerushalayim, this is not our Yerushalayim. In Germany they felt that Berlin was Yerushalayim. And Meshachachma writes that in a Sefer before the Holocaust happened. This was Divrei Nevoah of the Meshachachma, famous Nevoah. Some people say about the Meshachachma that if you would have been a Hasid Rebbe, you know, they would have made big, it would be a Mephis Nigla that you see in his Sefer. He speaks about how Berlin is Yerushalayim to many people and how it's all going to get overturned. This was written years before the Holocaust took place. A Mephis from the Meshachachma. A Nevuah of the Meshachachma. That's the reality of our goals. We think that New York is Yerushalayim. Berlin is Yerushalayim. Toledo is Yerushalayim. There, there are great places throughout the history of, of, you know, Aleppo is Yerushalayim. There are many Yerushalayims, quote-unquote, throughout our history. We see what happened to all of them. They all got overturned like Yerushalayim, one after another. Because it's not our Yerushalayim. It's, there's one Yerushalayim that Eid has, and that's the Tzavar of Binyamin. And until we can actually come back and, and embrace Yerushalayim on that Tzavar of Binyamin, we're lacking everything. Everything in our life is missing. The tsaras that we should feel today, those are good tsaras because it makes us that much closer to realizing that we're missing something in Gaulus. 
it's not the party that we thought it was a couple of months ago. We're in Gaulus just like our grandparents were in Gaulus, just like our great great grandparents. This is still Gaulus. It's still Bimaris Halayla. It's still Yaakov Avinu's Tkufa. And we have to try to bring that to an end. We have to really fast today, do tshuva today, think about what we're missing today, and yearn for Mashiach. Because today is a day that we could actually feel it, and that's good to feel it. It's not a bad thing sometimes to feel the tzara, to feel the pinch of galus. It's good, because that's the only way that we're ever going to be motivated to daven that Mashiach should come, because we have to feel a real need for him to come before he comes. Just end with a, uh, um, you know, the story of the Chavetz Chaim. The Chavetz Chaim um, once heard a story about the the Beis Halevi. The Beis Halevi was the was uh, was offered to be the rav in a in a city in in I think it was Brisk, and uh, he was a rav in multiple cities. But I, I believe it was Brisk, and. Um, it was either Brisk or Slutsk, I'm not sure. But anyway, um, he was offered to be the Rav in that city. I think it was Slutsk. And, but he was, learning, uh, he was learning in the city that he was in, and he was happy, he was comfortable. He didn't want to leave. And then a delegation came after they sent him a letter inviting him. Then a delegation comes and says, in the city, there's 75,000 Jews that are waiting for your arrival. They're waiting for you to come. 75,000 Jews. He says, there are 75,000 Jews waiting for my arrival, then I'm going to go. I'm going to go. So the Chavetz Chaim says that if the Beis HaLevi would come for 75,000 Jews eagerly awaiting his arrival, that made him decide to come. That means that Mashiach would not be more Makbed than the Beis HaLevi, if there were 75,000 Jews that were honestly waiting for Mashiach to come, yearning for him to come, he would come. He's at the doorstep. He's waiting, for, he's, he's waiting to come. Chavetz Chaim used to say that it says um, that Pisam Yavayel Hechalai, he's on the doorstep. He's mamish waiting to come. He wants to come. It's not like we have to convince him, pretty please come. He wants to come more than we want him to come. There has to be an upswell of interest and of yearning for us to have him come. And then he's, he's, he's here. He's here already. It's not that difficult to bring Mashiach. It's just it takes a, certain, a few thousand Jews that are honestly wanting Mashiach to come, and he will come. And we might be the Jews, we might, this pocket in, in this room, and whoever is listening to this, you know, maybe we're enough to just tip the scales to bring him. We don't know how powerful we are. We don't know how deep into Galus we are, how much HaKadosh Baruch Hu wants to redeem us from Galus, how he wants the, the Bayesh Lisha to be built on the mountain of Yerushalayim, how, how things are so ripe for it to happen. We just have to push a little further, cry a little, a little stronger, and daven a little better. And in Mitzvah Hashem, we should be Zeicha then to the Gula Shlema, B'mehir Rabbi Amenu, Amen Amen. Have a good Shabbos.